0: Section 9 of History of the Jews in Russia and Poland Volume 1 From the beginning until the death of Alexander I, 1825 by Shimon Dubunov Translated by Israel Friedlander This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Recording by SS Kim, Seoul, South Korea Chapter 5 The Autonomous Center in Poland During Its Decline 1648 to 1772 Part 1 1 Economic and national antagonism in the Ukraine The Jewish center in Poland marked by compactness of numbers and a widespread autonomous organization seemed down to the end of the 17th century to be the only secure nest of the Jewish people and the legitimate seat of its national hegemony which was slipping out of the hands of German Jewry. But, in 1648, this comparatively peaceful nest was visited by a storm, which made the Jews of Eastern Europe speedily realize that they would have to tread the same sorrowful paths, strewn with the bodies of martyrs that had been trespassed by their Western European brethren in the Middle Ages. The factors underlying this crisis were three an acute economic class struggle racial and religious antagonism and the appearance upon the horizon of jewish history of a new power of darkness the semi-barbarous masses of southern russia in the central provinces of poland the positions of the jews as was pointed out previously was determined by the interaction of class and economic forces on the one hand and religious and political interest on the other, changing in accordance with the different combinations of the opposing factions. While the kings and the great nobles, prompted by fiscal and agrarian considerations, in most cases encouraged the commercial activities of the Jews, the urban estates, the trade and merchant guilds, from motives of competition, tried to hinder them. As for the Catholic clergy, it was on general principles, ever on the alert, to oppress the infidels. As far as economic rivalry and social operations are concerned, the Jews were able to resist them, either by influencing the Polish governing circles or by combining their own forces and uniting them in a firmly organized scheme of self-government, which had been conceded to them in so large a measure. At any rate, it was a cultural struggle between two elements the Polish and Jewish population, the Christian and the Jewish estates, or the church and the synagogue. This struggle was vastly complicated in the southeastern border provinces of Poland, the so called Ukraina, by the presence of a third element which was foreign to the Poles no less than to the Jews the local native population which was russian by race and greek orthodox in religion and was engaged principally in agriculture the vast region around the southern basin of the Dnieper, the whole territory comprising the provinces of kiev bortava and chernikov and including parts of podolia and Volynia, was subject to the political power of the polish kings and the economic dominions of the polish magnates enormous estates comprising a large number of villages populated by russian peasants were here in the hands of wealthy polish landlords who enjoyed all the rights of feudal owners the enthralled peasant, or klovs, as they were contemptuously nicknamed by the polish nobles were strange to their masters in point of religion and nationality. In the eyes of the Catholics, particularly in those of the clergy, the Greek Orthodox faith was a religion of clubs, and they endeavored to eradicate it by forcing upon it compulsory church unions or by persecuting the decedents. The Poles looked upon the Russian populace as an inferior race which belonged more to Asia than to Europe. In these circumstances, the economic struggle between the feudal landlord and his serfs, unmitigated by the feeling of common nationality and religion, was bound to assume acute forms. Apart from the oppressive agricultural labor which the peasant had to give regularly and gratuitously to the landlord, They were burdened with a multitude of minor imposts and taxes, levied on pastures, mills, hives, etc. The Polish magnates lived, as a rule, far away from their Ukrainian possessions, leaving the management of the latter in the hands of stewards and arrenders. Among these rural arrenders there were many Jews, who principally leased from the pans the right of propination. Or the sale of spiritual liquors. These leases had the effect of transferring to the Jews some of the powers over the Russian serfs which were wielded by the noble landowners. The Jewish arenda endeavored to derive as much profit from the nobleman's estate as the owner himself would have derived had he lived there. But under the prevailing conditions of serfdom, these profits could be extracted only by a relentless exploitation of the peasants. Moreover, the contemptuous attitude of the shlakhtha and the Catholic clergy towards the religion of clubs and their endeavors to force the Greek Orthodox serfs into Catholicism by imposing upon them an ecclesiastic union gave a sharp religious coloring to this economic antagonism the oppressed peasantry reacted to this treatment with ominous murmurings and agrarian disturbance in several places the enslaved south russian muzhik hated the polish pan in his capacity as landlord catholic and lark no less intensely did he hate the jewish render with whom he came in daily contact and whom he regarded both as the steward of the pan and an infidel entirely foreign to him on account of his religious customs and habits of life thus the ukrainian jew found himself between hammer and anvil between the pan and the cloth, between the catholic and the greek orthodox between the pole and the russian three classes three religions and three nationalities clashed on a soil which contained in its bowels Terrible volcanic forces, and a catastrophe was bound to follow. The South Russian population, though politically and agriculturally dependent upon the Poles, was far from being that patient beast of burden into which the rule of serfdom tried to transform it. Many circumstances combined to foster a warlike spirit in this population. The proximity of the new Russian steppes and the Khanate of the Crimea, whence hordes of Tatars often burst forth to swoop down like birds of prey upon the eastern provinces of Poland, compelled the inhabitants of the Ukraine to organize themselves into warlike companies or Cossacks to fight off the invaders. The Polish government, acting through its local governors or starostas, encouraged the formation of these companies for the defense of the borders of the empire in this way ukrainian cossackdom a semi-military semi-agricultural caste came into being with an autonomous organization and its own hetman at the head apart from the ukrainian cossacks who were subject to the polish government there were also the so-called zaporozhian cossacks a completely independent military organization which lived beyond the falls of the Dnieper in the steppes of so called New Russia, the present governments of Ekaterinoslav and Kherson, and indulged in frequent raids upon the Turks and in constant warfare with the Tatars of the Crimea. This military camp, or Siek, beyond the falls of the Dnieper attracted many clubs from the Ukraine who preferred a free, unrestricted military life to the dreary existence of laboring slaves. The Sikh represented a primitive military republic where daring, pluck, and knightly exploits were valued above all. It was a semi-barbarous Tata horde except that it professed the Greek Orthodox faith and was of Russian origin though by the way with a considerable admixture of mongolian blood the ukrainian and zaporozhian cossacks were in constant relations with each other the peasants of the ukrainian looked up with pride and hope to this their national guard, which sooner or later was bound to free them from the rule of the poles and jews the polish government failed to perceive that on the eastern borders of the empire a mass of explosive was constantly accumulating, which threatened to wreck the whole Polish Republic. Nor could the Jews foresee that this terrible force would be directed against them and would stain with blood many pages of their history, serving as a terrible omen for the future. The first warning was sounded in 1637 when the Cossack leader Pavluk suddenly appeared from beyond the falls in the province of poltava inciting the peasants to rise against the pans and the jews the rebels demolished several synagogues in the town of lubny and in neighboring places and killed about two hundred jews the real catastrophe however came ten years later the mutiny of the cossacks and the ukrainian peasants in sixteen forty eight inaugurates in the history of the jews of eastern europe the era of pogroms which southern russia bequeathed to future generations down to the beginning of the twentieth century two the pogroms and massacres of sixteen forty eight to sixteen forty nine in the spring of sixteen forty eight while king vladislav the fourth still sat on the throne of poland one of the popular cossack leaders Khmelnytsky from the town of Chigrin in the province of Kiev unfurled the banner of rebellion in the Ukraine and in the region beyond the Dnieper Falls. Infuriated by the conduct of the Polish authorities of his native place, Khmelnytsky began to incite the Ukrainian Cossacks to armed resistance. They elected him secretly, their hetman. And empowered him to conduct negotiations with the Zaporozhians. Having arrived in the region beyond the Dnieper Falls, he organized military companies and concluded an alliance with the Khan of the Crimea, who entered into a compact to send large troops of Tatars to the aid of the rebels. In April sixteen forty eight the combined host of the Cossacks and tatars moved from beyond the falls of the dnieper to the borders of the ukraina in the neighborhood of the yellow waters and Korsun. they inflicted a severe defeat on the polish army under the commands of potocki and Kalinowski, may sixth to fifteen and this defeat served as a signal for the whole region on the eastern banks of the dnieper to rise in rebellion the russian peasants and town-dwellers left their homes and organizing themselves into bands devastated the estates of the pans slaying their owners as well as the stewards and jewish arrenders in the towns of Periaslav, piriatin lokvits lubni and the surrounding country thousands of jews were barbarously killed and their property was either destroyed or pillaged the rebels allowed only those to survive who embraced the greek orthodox faith the jews of several cities of the kiev region in order to escape from the hands of the cossacks fled into the camp of the tatars and gave themselves up voluntarily as prisoners of war they knew that the tatars refrained as a rule from killing them and transported them instead into turkey where they were sold as slaves and had a chance of being ransomed by their Turkish co-religionists. At that juncture, in the month of May, King Vladislav IV died, and an interregnum ensued, which, marked by political unrest, lasted six months. The flame of rebellion seized the whole of the Ukraine, as well as Volhynia and Podolia. Bands composed of Cossacks and Russian peasants, led by Kamelitsky's accomplices, savage zaporozhian cossacks dispersed in all directions and began to exterminate Poles and jews to quote a russian historian killing was accompanied by barbarous tortures the victims were flayed alive split asunder clubbed to death roasted on coals or scalded with boiling water even infants at the breast were not spared the most terrible cruelty however was shown towards the jews They were destined to utter annihilation, and the slightest pity shown to them was looked upon as a treason. Scrolls of the laws were taken out of the synagogues by the Cossacks, who danced on them while drinking whiskey. After this, Jews were laid down upon them and butchered without mercy. Thousands of Jewish infants were thrown into wells or buried alive contemporary jewish chroniclers add that these human beasts purposely refrained from finishing their victims so as to be able to torture them longer they cut off their hands and feet split the children asunder fish-like or roasted them on fire they opened the bowels of women inserted live cats and then sewed up the wounds the unbridled bestiality of intoxicated savages found expression in these frightful tortures of which even the Tatars were incapable. Particularly tragic was the fate of those Jews who, in the hope of greater safety, had fled from the villages and townlets to the fortified cities. Having learned that several thousand Jews had taken refuge in the town of Niemirov in Podolia, Kmelitsky dispatched the, a detachment of Cossacks under the command of the Zaporozhian Gania. Finding it difficult to take the city by storm, the Cossacks resorted to a trick. They drew nigh to Niemirov, carrying aloft the Polish banners and requesting admission into the city. The Jews, fooled into believing that it was a Polish army that had come to their rescue, opened the gates. Seven twenty. June 10th, 1648, the Cossacks, in conjunction with the local Russian inhabitants, fell upon the Jews and massacred them. The women and girls were violated. The rabbi and Rosh Yeshva of Niemirov, Yehiel Mikhail ben Eliezer, hid himself in the cemetery with his mother, hoping in his wise at least to be buried after death. There he was seized by one of the rioters, a shoemaker who began to club him. His aged mother begged the murderer to kill her instead of a son, but the inhuman shoemaker killed first the rabbi and then the aged woman. The young Jewish women were frequently allowed to leave. The Cossacks and peasants forcing them into baptism and taking them for wives one beautiful jewish girl who had been kidnapped for this purpose by a cossack managed to convince him that she was able to throw a spell over the bullets. she asked him to shoot at her so as to prove to him that the bullet would glide off without causing her any injury the cossack discharged his gun and the girl fell down mortally wounded yet happy in the knowledge that she was saved from a worse fate Another Jewish girl, whom a Cossack was on the point of marrying, threw herself from the bridge into the water while the wedding procession was marching to the church. Altogether, about six thousand Jews perished in the city of Niemirov. Those who escaped death fled to the fortified Podolian town of Turchin. Here, an even more terrible tragedy was enacted. A large horde of Cossacks and peasants laid siege to the fortress which contained several hundred Poles and some fifteen hundred Jews. The Poles and Jews took an oath not to betray one another and to defend the city to their last breath. The Jews, stationed on the walls of the fortress, shot at the besiegers, keeping them off from the city. After a long and unsuccessful siege, the Cossacks conceived a treacherous plan. They informed the Poles of Turchin that they were aiming solely at the Jews and as soon as the letter was delivered into their hands, they would leave the Poles in peace. The Polish pans, headed by Count Chetbertinsky, forgot their oath and decided to sacrifice their Jewish allies to secure their own safety. When the Jews discovered this treacherous intention, they immediately resolved to dispose of the Poles Whom they excelled in numbers but the rosh yeshva of tulchin rabbi aaron implored them not to touch the pans on the ground that such action might draw upon the jews all over the empire the hatred of polish population let us rather perish he exclaimed as did our brethren in niemirov and let us not endanger the lives of our brethren in all the places of their dispersion. The Jews yielded. They turned over all their property to Chetvertinsky, asking to offer it to the Cossacks as a ransom for their lives. After entering the city, the Cossacks first took possession of the property of the Jews and then drove them together into a garden where they put up a banner and declared, Let those who are willing to accept baptism station themselves under this banner, and we will spare their lives." The rabbis exhorted the people to accept martyrdom for the sake of their religion and their people. Not a single Jew was willing to become a traitor, and fifteen hundred victims were murdered in a most barbarous fashion. Nor did the perfidious Poles escape their fate. Another detachment of Cossacks which entered Turchin later, slew all the Catholics, among them Count Chetvertinsky Treachery avenged treachery. From Podolia, the rebel bands penetrated into Volhynia. Here, the massacres continued in the course of the whole summer and autumn of 1648. In the town of Polinoye, 10,000 Jews met their deaths at the hand of the Cossacks, or were taken captive by the Tatars. Among the victims was the kabbalist Samson of Ostropol, who was greatly revered by the people. This kabbalist and three hundred pious fellow Jews, who followed him, put on their funeral garments, the shrouds and prayer shawls, and offered up fervent prayers in the synagogue, awaiting death in the sacred place, where the murderers subsequently killed them one by one. Similar massacres took place in Zaslav, Ostrog, Konstantinov, Narol, Kremenets, Bar, and many other cities. The Ukraine, as well as Volhynia and Podolia, were turned into one big slaughterhouse. The Polish troops, particularly those under the brave command of Count Jeremiah Bishniowetski, succeeded in subduing the Cossacks and peasants in several places annihilating some of their bands with the same cruelty that the Cossacks had displayed towards the Poles and the Jews. The Jews fled to these troops for their safety, and they were welcomed by Vyshyni who admitted the unfortunates into the baggage train and, to use the expression of a Jewish chronicler, took care of them as a the father of his children. After the catastrophe of Nimirov, he entered the city with his army and executed the local rioters who had participated in the murder of the jewish inhabitants however standing all alone he was unable to extinguish the flame of the Cossack rebellion for the commanders-in-chief of the polish army did not display the proper energy at this critical moment and kumelitski was right in dubbing them contemptuously youngsters and latins bookworms from the ukraina bands of rebellious peasants or haidamaks penetrated into the nearest towns of white russia and lithuania from chernigov and staroduv where the jewish inhabitants had been exterminated the murderers moved toward the city of homel july or august a contemporary gives the following description of the homel massacre the rebels managed to bribe the head of the city, who delivered the Jews into their hands. The Greeks, Yevanim, i.e., the Greek Orthodox Russians, surrounded them with drawn sword and daggers and spears, exclaiming, Why do you believe in your God, who has no pity on his suffering people, and does not save it from our hands? Reject your God, and you shall be masters. But if you will cling to the faith of your fathers, You shall all perish in the same way as your brethren in the Ukraine, in Pukutia, and Lithuania perished at our hands. Thereupon, Rabbi Eliezer, our teacher, the president of the rabbinical court, exclaimed, Brethren, remember the death of our fellow Jews, who perished to sanctify the name of our God. Let us to stretch forth our necks to the sword of the enemy, Look at me and act as I do. Immediately, thousands of Jews renounced their lives, despised this world, and hallowed the name of God. The Roshi yeshba was the first to offer of his body as a burnt offering. Young and old, boys and girls saw the tortures, sufferings and wounds of the teacher, who did not cease exhorting them to accept martyrdom in the name of him, who had called into being the generations of mortals. As one man they all exclaimed, let us forgive one another our mutual insults. Let us offer up our souls to God and our bodies to the wild waves, to our enemies, the offspring of the Greeks. When our enemies heard these words, they started a terrible butchery, killing their victims with spears in order that they might die slowly. Husbands, wives, and children fell in heaps. They did not even attain to burial, dogs and swine feeding on their dead bodies. In September 1648, Kmelitsky himself, marching at the head of a Cossack army and accompanied by his Tatar allies, approached the walls of Lemberg and began to besiege the capital of Red Russia or Galicia. The Cossacks succeeded in storming and pillaging the suburbs, but they failed to penetrate to the fortified centre of the town. Khmelitsky proposed to the magistracy of Lemberg that it deliver all the Jews and their property into the hands of the Cossacks, promising in this case to raise the siege. The magistracy replied that the Jews were under the jurisdiction of the king, and the town authorities had no right to dispose of them. Kmelitsky thereupon agreed to withdraw, having obtained from the city an enormous ransom, the bulk of which had been contributed by the Jews. From Lemberg, Kmelitsky proceeded with his troops in the direction of Warsaw, where at that time the election of a new king was taking place. The choice fell upon John Casimir, a brother of Vladislav IV who had been primate of Gnesen and the Cardinal, 1648 to 1668. The new king entered into peace negotiations with the leader of the rebels, the Hetman Kemenitski. But owing to the excessive demands of the Cossacks, the negotiations were broken off, and as a result, in the spring of 1649, the flame of civil war flared up anew, accompanied by the destruction of many more Jewish communities. After a succession of battles in which the Poles were defeated, a treaty of peace was concluded between John Casimir and Kmelitsky in the time of Zborov. In this treaty, which was favorable to the Cossacks, a clause was included forbidding the residence of Jews in the portion of the Ukraine, inhabited by the Cossacks, the regions of Cherenkov, Pertava, Kiev, and partly Podolia, August 1649. At last, the Jews, after a year and a half of suffering and tortures, could heave a sigh of relief. Those of them who, at the point of death, had embraced the Greek Orthodox faith were permitted by King John Casimir to return to their old creed. The Jewish women who had been forcibly baptized fled in large numbers from their Cossack husbands and returned to their families. The Council of the Four Lands, which met in Lublin in the winter of 1650, framed a set of regulations looking to the restoration of normal conditions in the domestic and communal life of the Jews. The day of the Niemirov massacre, 7.20 which coincided with an old fast day in memory of the martyrs of the crusades, was appointed a day of mourning to commemorate the victims of the Cossack rebellion. Leading rabbis of the time composed a number of soul-stirring dirges and prayers which were recited in the synagogues on the fateful anniversary of the 20th of Sivan. But the respite granted to Jews after these terrible events did not last long. The Treaty of Zvorov, which were unsatisfactory to the Polish government, was not adhered to by it. Mutual resentment gave rise to new collisions, and civil war broke out again in 1651. The Polish government called together the national militia, which included a Jewish detachment of 1,000 men. This time the People's Army got the upper hand against the troops of Kmelitskiy, with the result that a Treaty of Peace was concluded which was advantageous to the Poles. In the Treaty of Bielaya tcherkov concluded in September 1651, many claims of the Cossacks were rejected and the right of the Jews to live in the Greek Orthodox portion of the Ukraine was restored. As a result, the Cossacks and Greek Orthodox Ukrainians rose again. Bogdan Khmelnytsky entered into negotiations with the Russian Tsar Alexis Mikhailovich, looking to the incorporation with the rights of an autonomous province of the Greek Orthodox portion of the Ukraine under the name of Little Russia into Muscovite empire. In 1654, this incorporation took place and in the same year, the Russian army marched upon White Russia and Lithuania to wage war on Poland, now came the turn of the Jews of the Northwestern region to endure their share of suffering. End of section nine.